take with an I and the M too. All right. Uh, oh my. There we are. Welcome to. Can you, yeah, I'm too loud. Turn it down just, just a little bit. That's good. Thank you. Um, welcome to read the readings uh, for the third week in a row. I think. Hopefully, everybody's getting a lot out of this. I know I am. Uh, again, three readings, and I have to admit, I stole the the name of this particular Bible study from one of the elders in my former parish. It's a Bible study that he used to lead, and he called it Read the Readings, and so I'm stealing it from him, but he, he didn't copyright it, so that's his fault. He should have done that. Uh, the theme for this evening and for the lessons coming up on Sunday is one of man's pride, and it's interesting and I think very, very wise how the formulators of the lectionary, most every Sunday, there's some in there that the three of them don't exactly match up, I don't think, but most every Sunday, they all have a particular theme. And the theme for this particular Sunday and all three lessons is man's pride and God's response to that and what our response to that should be as well. So let's begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word never comes back empty or void. Lord, we ask now that as we read, mark, and learn, as we inwardly digest, that you would bless us. In the name of Jesus, amen. First lesson, the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It's one of the larger prophets major prophets. If you get to Hosea, you've gone too far. Or Daniel. It's right before Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 2 and right after Jeremiah and Lamentations. Ezekiel chapter 2 starting at verse 1. For those of you listening uh, online, Ezekiel chapter 2 starting at verse 1. If you're listening online, holler. So Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. This is Ezekiel, one of the major prophets, as we said, speaking to God's people as sent by God to speak to them a very stern and harsh message. Surprise, surprise, God's people are once again not listening, and they are not behaving well. 
and they are following again after false idols and being, as he says here in verse 3, a rebellious nation. So here we go. He, God, said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Are you getting a theme here? But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written, were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth gave me the scroll to eat. Okay. Where is the pride found here? Where is man's pride found here? They were stubborn. Okay. Yep. Good. They were obstinate and stubborn. A A rebellious house. Good. Where else might it be found? Or where else might it be recognized. Do what? They fail to listen. Yes, good. Okay. Pride can cause people to not listen. Good. Where else might it be found? Who is doing most of the speaking here? God is. Yeah. Go back to the very first verse, verse 1. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. Well, Ezekiel did. Um, He came to me, the Spirit came to me, came into me, and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. The people did. Verse 1 tells us right off the bat that there is no room for pride here. I'm God, you're not, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And Ezekiel does it. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So there is no room for the pride of man here. God is God, we are not. And this verse in particular sort of harkens back to, we've talked about Job before, I think a few, I think the very first um, study was Job 30-something, where God finally responds to Job. And you can sort of get the same kind of tone here, right? The same vigor. Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. I read a commentary which said that only those who 
listen to what God wants them to do can truly be called his people. Okay? So, with this in mind, we know we've kind of seen where, where the pride is. Now the next question, the most important question, where is Christ in this? Where is Jesus found? Good, okay. Yep, good. Yes, he is the one, he is the, the word. So certainly we could say that uh, through him, Ezekiel is being spoken to. Good. It's not, Stan is exactly right. Also, the one that I was thinking of is not is not entirely obvious. It's from verse 9 to the first verse, first two verses of verse 3. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written, were written, I did that the last time too, were written words of, no, uh, were written words of lament and mourning and woe. He said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. Literally, he tells Ezekiel to eat God's word. Eat it. And then, once you have eaten it, once my word is inside you, now go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. To eat God's word sounds a lot like communion to me. Eat what is before you. Remember, was... In what way can communion be, be seen as law? Obviously, it's gospel. But in what way can it be seen as law? Yeah. He didn't say, if you feel like it. He didn't say, when you need it the most. He didn't say anything else other than, here, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Remember, too, in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, including, obviously, communion. Okay? So, it's got a really great allusion to the Lord's Supper as well, because in the same way that he has not asked Ezekiel to eat, the scroll. He has commanded him in the same way God has commanded us to, to take communion, to receive his very body, to receive his very blood. What else in this text stands out to you? Anything that we haven't talked about or maybe something that looks interesting or puzzling? That's what we're, yeah, that's what we're led to believe. The question was, so he actually saw God's hand? Yeah, I would say that he did. Mm -hmm. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And then he sees, yeah, verse 9, then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me in it, what was a scroll, 
it's probably safe to assume that it was God that gave him the scroll. It's entirely possible that it was an angel doing God's bidding. Either way, it's God's word that is, that is being consumed. So yeah, I would, I mean, without, without having, having done any, any more research on it, I would probably lean towards the, that, that hand that Ezekiel saw was probably God's. told to preach and not to look at the results. Yeah, good. Not to check the numbers when you walk down and see if it's yep. increasing next Sunday. Yeah. Your job is to preach. Right, right, yeah. No matter what it looks like, you preach. Yep, right. No matter what, right, that's exactly right. No matter what it looks like, no matter um, if it's a difficult topic or not, you are called to preach. That's, that's what I'm called to do, even if my hearers don't always like what I have to say. And sometimes I don't like what I have to say, to be completely honest, but God's word is God's word, and if I'm not doing that, according to James, I'm going to have some answering to do. And I want my judgment day to be as easy as possible. Good? Yeah, go and speak regardless of what it is that I have asked you to speak. Interestingly, there are some prophets and some people that God has called to speak and they don't do it. Can you think of the, of the main one? Jonah, good. I had, th- I had not thought of that. Good. Jonah, who else, who else didn't? Remember God asked him to go speak? What about Moses. God asks him to go speak, and Moses says, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And he comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse, and then God finally, it's almost like God finally says, you know, okay, fine, where's your brother, Aaron? He can do it. But God doesn't let Moses off the hook, and he still tells him to do it. Jonah is a great example of this. He's called to go to Nineveh, he literally tries to go the opposite direction. Well, of course, God's not going to have that. Calls up a swell to just about overtake the boat that he is on. And we all know how the story ends. Good. Can you think of anyone else? Any other prophets or anyone else? Hmm? Paul? Yeah, I, I would... Uh, Certainly before his conversion, um, but afterwards he was pretty, um, what, what happened to him really turned him. And so he definitely, um, I would say, began obviously to speak God's word. Okay, good. I like how in verse 6 that God gets very specific. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. No matter, so what God is saying to him is that no matter what the obstacles are, you're still called to go do it. You're still called to go do what I, have, what I am having you do. Good? Anything else on Ezekiel that stands out to you?
or you might you read it and thought, hmm, I wonder what that means. All right, let's go to the next one, the epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll give you a hint, it's after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Second Corinthians 12, starting at verse 1. It's actually verses 1 through 10. given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. That's the best one to pick up. Uh, let's see, you left off on verse eight. eight. So somebody take uh, nine through ten, please. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I, I am strong. Good. Lots to unpack in this one. First, a little bit of context. Verse 1, I must go on boasting. If we look at chapter 11 specifically, Paul is boasting not about, not about specifically himself insofar as how great that he is, but is boasting on how much that he has seen God work in his life. Uh, if you go to 11 verse 24, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, who is weak, 
who is weak, and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This will be key in a minute. Again, he's not boasting of, of, he's not telling the people in Corinth about all of these terrible things that have happened to him to A, make them feel sorry for him, and B, to um, tell them this, this great story that, that somehow makes him great. No, he's giving them these examples to show them how weak that he has been and how he is boasting in his weakness. The God, verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And so then we pick up in our chapter. So I must go on boasting. And so that's what Paul does. Now, from verse 2 to verse 5, yeah, verse 2 to verse 5. Well, before we get there, a little bit of background on, on the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was going through a lot of difficult times, thus the reason why Paul wrote not one but two letters to them. And... It's hard for us to imagine, and I think it's hard for us to understand, um, unless you, I guess, unless you have founded a church, which, which, which Paul has, has done, and then to see that church begin to crumble from within, from without, it's hard for us to imagine just exactly the passion that Paul feels towards not just the church in Corinth, but all of the churches that he founded. And so he writes these letters, and you can really feel in many cases the passion for which he writes. If you read the letter to the Galatians, it's a different kind of passion. He's angry. He's really, 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 really mad. You foolish Galatians, Somebody has come in and, and given you a, a gospel that is not the one that I taught you. So that's just a little bit of background into Paul and into this particular letter. Now, from verses one, uh, 2 through verse 5, I read a few different commentaries on who the man might have been. And nobody knows exactly who Paul was talking about, or at least for sure, who Paul was referring to. Odds are it's probably himself specifically when his conversion happened. Uh, Jesus comes to, to him, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul said, uh, Saul, sorry, Saul at that time says, who are you, Lord? He already recognizes that the man, that the person speaking to him is God. Um, and then Jesus makes him blind, and we know the rest of story. So the, um, the man that Paul is probably talking to here, or talking about here in verses 2 through 5 is probably himself. Probably. So he goes on boasting. Verse 6, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think of me, more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. 
Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to torment me. We don't know what the thorn was. There are some guesses. One of the guesses that I have heard is that Paul had some kind of a speech impediment, similar to Moses. One of the, thir- one of the thorns that I've heard was some kind of a, of a uh, physical ailment. Nobody knows exactly what it was. There are theories. But whatever it, it was, it was important enough for Paul to mention in this letter as he continues to go, as he continues his theme from verse 12 about boasting in his weakness. There's this thorn in my side. He, he calls it a messenger of Satan. So whatever it, it was, he hates it to torment me. Verse 8, I pleaded with God three times to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And there again we see that theme continuing from chapter 11. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, first of all, what stands out to you? I have a question, Mark, mm-hmm. about the third heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what the, what he's referring to. Yeah, not many people do either. <laughs> like I said, that the. The closest that I could find is that they were talking about, he is talking about himself, and through that experience with Christ, his conversion, he probably experienced, I think, I think for us today, the third heaven may not be so much of a place as it was the moment in which God, and I think it doesn't it say that here? Um, where this man, probably Paul, verse verse 4, he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. So my guess is, is that he went to, he was in God's presence somehow, some way. And when this conversion experience happened, and so when that moment happened, he heard, heard things, heard things probably from mouth of Jesus himself. And so that's that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. The study Bible Please. says heaven is plural in Hebrew, so third heaven refers to the highest heaven. Okay. He uses it interchangeably in the paradise and mm-hmm. about paradise or heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, I... Family, there's more than one heaven in the Hebrew language when we're talking about the highest heaven. Yeah. I've heard of, and I don't know if this is the same thing, I, I, I need to do some more research on this, but I know that Paul elsewhere speaks of um, sort of the, the, this idea of two different kinds of heaven, and some people will go to the highest heaven, some people will go to whatever the, the next heaven is. Um, how does that, how that happens, I have no idea. There's nothing in scripture that says that if you believe in God the most, you're going to get to go 
to the highest heaven. I, that just doesn't, there's, there's absolutely zero scriptural evidence for that. There is evidence, as we have seen here, that Paul is referencing some kind of a distinction between heavens or heaven. Um, unfortunately, very, very little is known about that. Anybody else, what stood out? The main scripture verse in there that we all memorized is children, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in mm -hmm. weakness. That's mm -hmm. a very familiar passage. Good. Mm -hmm. And God, give us the grace to accept your grace, especially when times are difficult. Paul has listed here in verse, in verse 11 several verses about all of the difficulties that he has faced. Some of them sound pretty bad. And yet, Jesus comes to him and says, but the grace that you have received from me is enough. It is sufficient. It is what you need. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Persisting thorn could be a, some type of sin he's dealing with. A sin continues to bother him and keeps, mm. especially considering that he talks about Or I try not to sin for what I do. Yeah, good. Something mm. like one of those sins he has that he just can't. Yeah, yeah, I think it's possible. I don't. Like I said, I would need to do a little bit more research on that, but I think given what Paul says elsewhere, specifically that, that text that you referenced, I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. And we know that Paul we know that Paul was still a sinful man. And we know too that he had some kind, maybe this is a conjecture, only only that. But he and Peter had a very sharp argument at some point. And they, it was so sharp and so whatever that the two separated and they went their own separate ways. Maybe Paul has a, has a temper. Maybe he's got anger management issues. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, get, I think it's, I mean, that, that is certainly something from scripture, but, but, but again, that, that's only conjecture on my part. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> My guess is, is that given what we know about Peter, he, Paul is probably not the only one who had a disagreement with, with him. Peter was pretty... He seems like somebody who would, who would be very hard to be a friend with. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah, he believed very, very strongly. At the same time, he was very impulsive. And... Again, that's, that's only conjecture on my part. I do not have any uh, scriptural support or commentary support on that. Is it possible that, and I'm kind of setting you up, but is it possible that, that Christ, even though these are his words, my, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Is it possible that, that the Father has spoken these words and so many words to His Son? I think so. I think so. I think back to the, I think back to the temptation in 
the wilderness in Matthew 4. Jesus just about says as much when Satan asks him to make the rocks become bread. And Jesus says, well, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think you could certainly make that connection. Similar to, and I guess what got me to thinking about that was similar to, and I didn't do a psalm this week. The psalm for this week, in case you are interested to read it, is 123. Psalm 123, if you want to read that when you go, when you go home. But similar to the psalms, I can, I can really see Jesus perhaps hearing these same words from the Father also. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Certainly we see this from Gethsemane to the cross. God's power was absolutely made perfect in seemingly a moment of weakness. Where else, other than what Christ has said there, is Christ anywhere else? I think probably I think probably verse 9 7 through 9 10 is probably where you're going to find find Christ in this text. Any other questions or thoughts on 2 Corinthians 12 1 through 10? Anything that stood out? All right, let's go to the gospel, also the sermon text. Mark 6, 14 through 29. Mark 6, 14 through 29. Mark 6, 14, I'm sorry, starting at verse 1. I'm not sure where I got. Yeah, Mark 6, starting at verse 1 through verse... Why in the world did I write that down? It's, it's Mark 6, 1 through 12. I don't know why it, I, I wrote down 14 through 29. The correct text is Mark 6, 1 through 12. My sermon text is actually Mark 6, 1 through 6, but we're going to read as it is in the lectionary. Will somebody read Mark 6, 1 through 6, please? He went away from there and came to his hometown disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard it were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is it not this, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. He can do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He went out among the villages teaching. Good. Uh, somebody seven through the rest of it. Twelve. Calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra tunic. 
whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Good. Let's start with a question that I forgot to do for the last one, but I think it was probably relatively easy to find. In 6, 1 through 12, where is man's pride found? Where is man's pride found? Family all saying, you know, how did this guy be Christ? Yeah, right. Yeah. Who's this guy? Right. So certainly in 1 through 6, he goes to his hometown, and as usual, I'm going to give some away, but I don't want to give the whole sermon away. Um, He goes to his hometown, and the sequence of events that happens in the people's minds is really quite fascinating. He goes there. Now, it's important for the uh, second half of 43. No, I'm sorry. For the second half of verse... No, sorry. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1. The second half of verse 1. He was accompanied by his disciples. He didn't go alone. And he went as one who wanted to be seen as a teacher, as a rabbi. Rabbis would typically, whenever they would travel, their disciples would go with them. And so this is what Jesus' disciples are doing. So he's coming to his hometown as teacher. The Sabbath comes, and he begins to teach in the synagogue as, well, what a teacher would do. And here's where the sequence of the people's minds, the sequence of events begins to happen. And many who heard him were amazed. They think, man, this is, this is some good stuff here that this guy is saying. Where does he get these things? Interesting, too, in previous Gospels, even the disciples at one point asked, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? It, that's very, very similar. What's this wisdom? So they're acknowledging the fact that he has it, wisdom. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? So they've obviously seen him do some kinds of miracles, and then instantly, very next verse, verse 3, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, people that they all knew? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They go from being amazed and in wonder and acknowledging the things that he has done, acknowledging that he teaches with wisdom, and in their minds, their pride gets in the way. But we know him. It's a carpenter. A carpenter was somebody who was very, gosh, I mean, there's really no other better way to say it. He was very ordinary. Carpenters were very ordinary people. They were the lay folk. And obviously, Jesus' trade is as a, as, as a carpenter because his father was, Joseph was. So right off of the bat, they see him as a very ordinary person. Why in the world is he in our synagogue 
teaching only reserved for the best people in our society, the smartest. Now, I read a commentary that said this for the second half of verse 3, and I thought it was really fascinating. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? The commentary that I read said that their question, isn't this Mary's son, probably meant that at this point Joseph was dead, that his father was, just by how they address it. And so Jesus is coming back to his hometown, not only to teach, but also you think to do what? If his father's dead, he's coming back to his hometown to do what? Check in on his mom. Yeah. Okay? So he's com- coming back to check in on his mom. He was a good son. And to check in on his family, too. James, John, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters. And in the people's minds, Mark amazingly sort of goes through their mindset very, very quickly. It only takes a couple of verses. And they not they the word offense is not chosen lightly they were angry with him they were personally offended that this ordinary dude this ordinary guy a carpenter somebody not just a carpenter but but somebody that they had seen grow up begins teaching in the synagogue They've seen him do the miracles. They know that he has wisdom. They've seen him do those things, and yet their pride gets in the way, and they take offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He couldn't do any miracles there except lay hands, his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. This sentence doesn't happen very often in scripture. It sort of takes a lot to amaze Jesus. (laughs) And the people have done this. Now, this is not the only time that that the Gospels have recorded Jesus going and teaching somewhere and his teaching being rejected. Uh, Off the top of my head, I can't remember which Gospel it is. I should. But elsewhere, people actually take Jesus to the edge of a cliff and they're going to throw him off. And in one of the most amazing passages in the Gospels, it says, and Jesus just made his way through them untouched. It wasn't his time yet. So no, they're not going to be able to throw him off of a cliff. So it's, it's amazing that... Let's maybe put a little bit different perspective on this. Let's say that one of the people in his hometown is somebody whose great aunt Ida was healed from her leprosy. They have seen that Jesus has healed somebody, people close to them. It's not like Nazareth was a huge town because it wasn't. They have seen him heal people and yet They can't get over the fact that he's an ordinary guy, and they can't get over the the fact that they've seen him since diapers. I mean, that's 
basically the perspective that, that we're looking at. Their pride gets in the way, and that's kind of the theme for what we're going to be talking about on Sunday, is how man's pride, how people's pride gets in the way of Jesus' teaching. Before we go on to the rest of the passage, anything, any questions, anything that stood out to you from verses 1 through 6, 6a, I guess. Isaiah, where they describe Jesus as being very plain and very, that you would not yeah. think about the crowd, maybe yes. less than even a dragon. Yeah. That, that kind of just, I thought of that as soon as I read this. Mm hmm. Here's a very plain looking guy, very unclothing, carpenter's mm-hmm. not. Yep. Well, and it's, yeah, it's, if you've ever seen um, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, the final scene, or one of the, the final scenes, they finally get there. And the guy, the bad guy, chooses the wrong cup. And do you remember what the cup looked like? It was ornate and fancy and, and everything else. And of course, he wastes away and everything else. Um, they had some, by the way, in that series, when people die, they really die. Like the, uh, the Lost Ark, it's like the guy who's looking at it, like his, he just melts. Yeah, good, good, yep. Yep, yep, good, good. Well, and so in the last crusade, I think he just gets blown away. Well, he decays and he de- decays, and then he just finally just wastes waste away, interestingly, to dust. To dust you shall return, okay? So in that movie, what is the right, the right cup? The least ornate of them all. Well, yeah, it's it's just a simple, basic chalice, cup, okay? And so this is, this is not indifferent from how Jesus began his entire life, too. He was born, born, born literally in a barn, and his mother wraps him in swaddling clothes. He, there was nothing about him that screamed, I'm the king of the world even though it took his disciples a long, long time to finally realize that. Good? Anything else in 1 through 6a that stood out? Well, I noticed that it talks about people knowing that he had performed miracles. Yep. And then at the very last, it says that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found that interesting too that he couldn't the and again I, I didn't do enough research on this but the the way that that sentence is structured he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them it, it's almost sort of like and it's not but it's almost like Mark sort of does that sentence as kind of a throw-in. You know, here's, he did some, but he couldn't do, he couldn't do all. And, mm-hmm, yep, yep. It's hard to be healed by 
Jesus if you don't have faith. And the way that we, and the way that people don't have faith is if they outright reject it. No, this guy Jesus isn't who you say. In fact, I was having a, one day I was having, weeks ago I was having a conversation with an atheist and I was just banging my head against the, the wall because he, he didn't, not only did he believe, not believe that Jesus was God, but he didn't even believe that Jesus existed. And I'm like, even the non-Christian historical sources say that Jesus existed. So there's that. Okay, uh, 6b through, through 12, anything that stood out about that? So he went around teaching from village to village, and then he calls the disciples, the 12, to him, uh, and he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And so he gives them instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, or sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a, as a testimony against them. Remember that at this time, one of the things that you did as a host, that you, when you were welcoming people into your home, was that you would give them a basin and some water to wash their feet in. That was, that was just customary. And they went out and preached people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Anything in that, that stands out. Next week, by the way, we're going to be talking about this story with John the Baptist being beheaded. And if you want to talk about days of our lives, that's got nothing on this one. It's kind of wild. Why only one home? Huh? When you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Um, I don't know. It could be various things. It could be that they were trying to make a relationship with one particular family there or one particular person there so that if they would ever have to come back, they would have someplace to, to go. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And how do we know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no bread, no bag, no, no money in your, in your belts. Basically, just go. Don't worry about this, this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, we are to assume, and we know that, that God somehow fed them, obviously, probably by these homes that they were entering into, because if God did not figure out a way to feed them, that they wouldn't have made it to the Last Supper. So, <laughs> Good? Interesting, too, that this sounds a lot like Paul. He didn't, he didn't have much. Now, we know that Paul was a tent maker, and that was the way that he kind of supported himself, other than kind of going from two different people's houses. But Anything else on that? So we figured out where man's pride was found in not listening to Jesus. We see it, too, in 6b through 12 as a for instance or a just in case. So if Jesus says, I'm sorry, when 
Jesus says, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a, as a testimony against them. We don't know, we aren't really given, at least here, what those reasons might be, but the disciples will eventually find out. It's kind of interesting that this is a prelude, perhaps Jesus giving them a trial run on what they're going to eventually end up doing after he ascends. Anything else on that? All right. Good study, good session tonight. If you want to read ahead, the gospel for next week will be 14 through 29. If you want to read ahead a little bit, you're welcome to. And I don't remember what the Old Testament or the epistle are. But, um, yeah, and then the sermon text is going to be on Mark 6, specifically 1 through 6a. Psalm 123 is the appointed psalm for that for this coming Sunday, although we won't be reading it. Psalm 123, not 23, but 123. I think it's short. I think it's only about six or seven verses or so. Okay, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for... Thanks to those of you who came tonight. Thanks to those who are listening at home. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. See you Sunday. You bet.